0: Say a prayer and we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we open the word. Let us see what you would have us to see from this section. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought of your life, what you shall eat, neither for your body, what you shall put on, the life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and the God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, taking thought, can add to a stature one cubit? If you cannot, are not able to do that which is the least, why take you thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, lilies how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto them that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more shall he clothe you, for you owe you of little faith. And seek not that which you shall eat or that which you shall drink, neither be ye doubtful of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your father knows that which you have need of. But rather seek you the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give to the poor. Provide yourselves treasures in heaven that fail not, so that that no thief approaches, neither is there moth that corrupts. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." So here we have a few things going on that uh, we're going to look at. We're going to break this down into about four points. (laughs) The first one is that God is telling them that they are to be anxious for nothing. Don't be afraid. And this is something that we're told, Peter tells us the same thing, cast all your fears, your anxieties on him for he cares for you. And we will say things like we trust God. We believe God will take care. Until we have to worry about what, what we're going to eat, what we're going to put on, what we're going to, where we're going to live, and all these other things. And God is saying, I have all of these things taken care of. And it's kind of an interesting thing that we do, because I've always thought it was quite funny. Well, funny is probably not the right word. Kind of strange when people say, I trust God to take care of me for eternity in heaven, but he doesn't, can't take care of me on earth. And I've met lots of people that have that. They may not actually say it that bluntly, but they live like they don't trust God in the present. And yet they want to trust God for eternity. And I just, so there's a disconnect here that I don't understand. And here Jesus is telling them that goes, God will take care of all of what you want and need. He says, life is more than meat and raiment. And I was thinking that I read that in Genesis 25, uh, 29 through 34, we have the, study, the, the story of Esau coming out of the field, if you remember the story. Esau had been hunting all day. He didn't get any food. He comes back home, and Jacob is making a pot of porridge or beans. It depends on which translation you look at. He's making dinner. And Esau comes in and says, Give me some food. I'm starving to death. How many people have ever said, I'm starving to death? Or, you know, you used to hear it all the time from the kids coming home. I'm starving to death. You don't look like you're dying at all. <laughs> you know, Esau had been only gone for one day. It wasn't like he was going to die if he hadn't come in and eat. And Jacob said, nope, I'm not giving you any. And Esau goes, well, I'm your brother. You know, you really should give it to me. And he goes, well, I'll sell it to you. And he sold it. He, he, and Esau sold his birthright as the eldest child for Esau. Whole, a bowl of beans, even if you got the whole pot, it still wasn't worth it. Uh, and he just so simply did not understand what, we just, what Jesus said here. Life is more than meat and clothes. Where are we looking at? Are we looking at for our treasure heavenly things or are we looking at this world? And I understand, we're all I fall into the same parts. We are flesh and blood, we get hungry we get cold, we get tired, we want some place to sleep. I understand all of those things are important to us, but are they important enough that we make them above God, or do we come to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you. God will provide all of our needs, and it's kind of interesting when he looked at these examples, he didn't just leave it there, he said, I'm going to give you some examples. And I don't know if you understood this, when he said, look Consider the ravens. Now for us as Gentiles, ravens don't mean that much. They're just a bird. Matter of fact, we know they're a carrion bird. They like to eat, eat everything. But for the Jew, this is not the bird that, we, that he would have, would have figured because the raven is an unclean bird. He's saying think of the unclean bird. God takes care of that bird as well. Now, you see the impact that this is having on the disciples when they hear it? They would have figured, okay, God, you, know, you want us to look at the chickens and the turkeys and the, and the quail, the birds that we eat? You know, Yeah, we really expect you to take care of them, but he's going, that unclean bird, the one that you think is totally worthless, God takes care of that bird as well. How do we think, you will know, And, you know, we sometimes will think about that. How many people do we think may be worthless? It doesn't need need care. God still cares about them. God cares about everyone, everything in this world. And will take care of them. Now, does that mean he's going to give them great blessings and everything? Not necessarily. He has promised to meet all of our needs. And this is something we look at. Are we looking at focused on him? him. I love the story of of, uh, Mueller in the orphanage in Bristol. One morning there's no food in the the orphanage for all the hundreds of kids that are thousands of kids, whatever it was at that time. And he gathers them together for breakfast and they start thanking God for their breakfast. There is no breakfast. But he was a man of prayer and he knew God would take care of them. And in the middle of the prayer, he gets a knock on the door. Somebody's wagon, the bread truck had broken down in front of him. Or no, the bread, the bread, the baker had come in and said, God told me to make these and you guys needed them. And they had bread for breakfast. They're passing out the bread and a milk wagon breaks down in front of, the, in front of them. And the guy goes, I got to empty the wagon. I figured the kids could use the milk more than dumping it out in the street. Do we have that kind of faith that we'll say, God, thank you for what you're going to give us, even though it's not there. This is what this verse is saying. God cares for us even when we do not see a way for it to happen. Our memory verse talks about there is no searching of his understanding. It doesn't mean that we can't understand God a little bit, but we cannot understand all there is to know about God. And I've known one thing about God is he likes to answer our prayers at the last possible moment. You know, when we're starting to panic, saying, God, well, this bill is due in five minutes. Where's the, where's the money coming from? And then you go find out the bill's already been paid or, you, or it's not been gone out or whatever it might be or the, or the money comes in the mail just, as, just in time to be given out. And God says, I will take care of you. Do we have that kind of faith in him? I know I always don't have that kind of faith in him. We're told to have that kind of faith in him. He then goes in to say, and look at the lilies of the valley. Look at these flowers. Beautiful flowers. Now, I can sometimes understand the beauty of flowers. I don't appreciate them as much as a lot of people do because they're just flowers. And I know that they're going to be dead within a, within a couple of days. And that's what he says. You know, God has clothed the lilies which are here today and tomorrow, or sometime in the near future, you're going to cut them all down and throw them, in, throw them in the fire to get rid of them. And yet God cares about nature. Have you ever really appreciated the beauty that God has put into nature? I love it that the God has, one thing, a sense of humor. He, he created a platypus, which if you're a scientist is a cra- crazy animal, you know, a, rip, a mammal that lays eggs and and all these other things, and it doesn't fit into the categories that normally fit into. He has built into all these things out there. He has patterns and colors that, are, that we are just now discovering now that we can look at things outside of natural light, and we look at things at infrared and, and ultraviolet, and we see that God has patterns in those, in those things. We've got telescopes now that can see the beauty of some of these satellites and moons around some of the other planets and go, wow, God, look at what you created so that we could find it almost 6,000 years later. You know, it's quite an amazing thing when you think about it. He knew that 6,000 years later we were going to be able to discover these things and he put them out there for us to discover. He put such variety into human beings that there is no two people that are exactly alike. In the, in the world. Now, there are some that are similar. Even identical twins aren't exactly alike. They all have variation. And God says, I am going to put enough variation that everything is going to be unique. And yet, when we try to deal with people, how often do we try to deal with people in some program or some plan? Well, it worked with this person, so I'm going to do the same thing to that person. And it just doesn't work. We need to listen to God and come up with a unique program to reach each individual because they are unique. God has said, I feed the ravens. and He could have said any animal out there because every animal is fed you know, by God. Animals do not gather up and have great big warehouses out there and shopping centers to go shop out unless you're, unless you're a man, and then man does all these things to worry about the future. You know, How much time do we spend worrying about what is coming? So many of us uh, will spend time worrying about all the stuff that's coming and forget to live today. And I've met lots of people that are so worried about what's coming up. What's coming up? What's coming up? And then they don't live today and they miss every opportunity that God gives them today. Now the flip side of that is how many people worry about all the mistakes that they've made in the past and say, I'm living in the past and don't live in today. (laughs) We need to be able to understand, I can't change the past. I have little to no control of the future. All I can live is in the moment that I am living in, right this moment. And even at that point, that moment is gone. As soon as I say I'm living in that moment, that moment's gone. I have a very slim period of time that I have any control over what I do. And we've all talked about this several times ago. All of us after service plan to go home. Chances are we will make it home. But there's also no guarantee that we will make it home. People die in this world every second. And every time somebody dies, they had plans to do something else that week, that day, the, the, that month, whatever, that are all of a sudden ended. We must be looking at trusting God in the moment. He will make sure that we will have enough food. He will make sure that we have raiment. He will make sure that we are protected. And this is the good news that he gives us. He cares for us. He says he is our shepherd. And that means that he will take care of all the needs of his flock. And we need to be able to understand, and part of the problem for us as Americans is we think our needs are a lot more than they really are. If you ever go any other part of the world, you'll find out that what we consider needs, they figure luxury. Americans are looked at as we're rich. And even when we go overseas, we travel with you know, suitcases full of clothes so we can change clothes all the time. We want our three meals a day, and we want meals three times a day, not just a, a substance. Uh, my dad is living in, in the Philippines, and he says his biggest complaint is that he can't get a hot shower every morning. We kind of take that for granted, don't we? I'm going to get my hot shower, or can take my hot shower. It's a luxury over there to take a hot shower. They take a hot shower once a week. The rest of the week they take cold showers. You know, and if you go some places, you see the food that people eat, you know, and, and it's an amazing thing. They understand what substance is, and we understand what a, what, what we consider a small light meal would be a feast in most countries. God promises to meet our needs. And he says, I will take care of all of those things. And it's very interesting that he, like I said, that he picked an unclean bird to be his example. And to the to the disciples looking, well, why would you choose the the raven? Because it is the unclean bird, and he's saying, I will reach down to the lowest, the lowest area. And so we want to be able to look at this because he's aware that he is looking at this. He's saying, I'm going to meet your needs. And he says that the the lilies were clothed better than Solomon. Now, if you remember the life of Solomon, Solomon was the richest man that has lived. He had so much silver in, in Israel that silver was worthless. Gold did not have a whole lot of value because they had so much of it. They used gold to build he used gold over every part of the temple. He made gold shields for his, for his honor guard. You know, he had so much gold, he didn't even know what to do with all the gold, and, and God is saying Solomon was not arrayed better than the plants. Why? Because God is the one that arrayed the plants. You know, and this is kind of a telling story for us, is how many people are wrapped up in being in the current hot garments, you know, whatever whatever's whatever is the best thing to be wearing. You know, I gotta be on top of everything. It used to be funny, I have two of my kids that are very much in fashion into fashion and when they when they were younger they kept going, Dad, you're out of style. I go, well I'll be back in style in 30 years, so it doesn't matter. You know. Uh, but you know, they were always on top of it. They were always wanting to be what was current, what was going on. And they weren't bad bad on it, but they were aware of what was going on. How many people, maybe we have people in our family that we know, always have to be whatever, whatever is in style. Can't get caught dead with it, you know, without being in style. We need to be careful of that because that is putting something above God. Not saying we have to be out of style or anything, but how important is it to us? What is important to us? Is our importance God, His Word, his way of doing things, or the way the world does things. Too often for many people, it is how the world does things, even for Christians. They'll understand, I want to follow God, I want to obey God, but when it comes into conflict with the world, they will back off. They will back off. And this is a scary thing because we can go right into the COVID thing, which I mentioned earlier. People said, I can't come to church because I'm afraid of the, the world tells me I cannot get together. I can't be able to speak out anything that God says is a sin. I can't say is a sin because the world says it's not a sin and they might, go, they might go after me. You know what? If we're fearful of the world and we're always looking at what the world believes and wants, we're going to be in trouble with God. And I would rather be in trouble with the world than in trouble with God. And I've already told you all, there will come a time when I will probably lose my job at the prison because I have too much of a big mouth when it comes to God's ways. I will say something is a sin. Now, I don't just call everything a sin to everybody, but if they ask me directly, I will tell them what God says about it. And if they've asked me, they better be ready for the answer. But there is so much sin out there, and I'm not even talking about the inmates. I'm talking about the staff and their attitudes you know, about all the different things that are out there in this world. You know, one of the things that we have in our world right now is fornication, living together. God calls it a sin. What do we call it in our day? Well, they're just living together. They're just having a one-night stand, shacking up, no big deal. And we just minimize it, and God calls it a sin. We need to be ready to say, these things are sins. Not criticism with it, not, not attacking them, but that there are things that God calls sin. And just using the word sin drives people nuts. Well, they'll go, well, it was kind of wrong. No, God calls it a sin, and sin's punishment is hell. And they go, well, I don't like that word. Nobody ever talks about sin anymore. Well, God still talks about sin. God has never changed. And if we're not talking about sin, then we are not living up to God's standard. And we need to understand what God says is true. And he doesn't change. And I like that he doesn't change because he also says that he loves us. And because he said doesn't change, he will not stop loving us. He says that we have eternal life because of what Jesus did on the cross when we accept that gift and he is not going to change his mind. I'm glad because I give him plenty of opportunities to change his mind every week. So I'm glad he does not change his mind when he says we have eternal life. He does not change. And it is a wonderful thing here because he cares for the littlest things. And then... In verse 29, he says, And seek not that which you shall eat, that which you shall drink, neither be of a doubtful mind. For all these things does the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you have need of them. What is he saying? Don't be like the world. Don't have the same thoughts as the world. We as Christians should stand up as a light, salt, and people will be looking at us And what happens, have you ever looked at a bright light when you've come in from the dark place? That bright light hurts your eyes sometimes. Matter of fact, it happened to me yesterday driving here. I came up over Coyote Pass, and my mirrors reflected the sun right into my eyes. And it's like, whoa. And my mirrors are all perfectly set. So I had three mirrors. Shining the sun directly into my eyes. And it's immediately trying to get, you know, okay, stop this because I could not see. It literally hurt. If you've ever been in a dark room and flipped on a bright light and instantly feel that pain when the light strikes those wide open pupils that are trying to see something in the dark. We as Christians should have that impact on the world. They have come from a dark place into a bright light. Now that light is Jesus, but we should shine that light so brightly that the world says it hurts. It hurts to be in your presence. Have you ever had somebody tell you and I love this even before they know I'm a pastor they'll say something go, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that." Didn't mean to do that. Why? because God's presence and light is shining so bright that it makes them convicted when they sin. Our lives should bring that. We are bringing God in the middle of everything we do. Everything we do we are, as His children, bringing Him into the middle of. The world should not be able to feel comfortable sinning around us, even if we don't say a word because the Holy Spirit is right there bringing conviction. And I've seen it over and over again where people are convicted just at the presence of Christians. You don't even have to say a word and it'll affect them. And it says right here, don't fear what the world fears. And not to be too introspective, but think about the things that you think about a lot. What is it that you are thinking about? Are they bringing glory to God? Or are they just something that brings you survival? Are they something that you are that the rest of the world thinks about? You know, uh, well I've got to think, well, let's see. After church today, I've got to make sure I get dinner ready. I've got to is the roast roast pulled out and is it is it in the timer? You know. Uh, it's not football season, so I can't use football. I don't know what games are played on on Sundays, but you know, my favorite team's playing this afternoon. The NASCAR's playing this afternoon. Uh, you know, racing this afternoon, I wonder wonder which driver is going to have first full position, who's going to win? What has that got to do with anything about God? Not that those things are all bad, but where is our thought processes? Are we literally thinking about God, or are we thinking about all the things that everybody else in the world would think about? How often do we think about God's Word? How long can you go without reading God's word before you get starving in your spirit? Hopefully, it's not long at all. And in our church, I think it's probably not long because we have plenty of Bible studies and encourage you to read the Bible and everything. But, you know, I know that there are people out there and I've visited them. Back, I've done some visits, you know. Hey, how are you doing? You know, you got any Bible? Oh, well, let me go find my Bible. <laughs> I do have a question. I, I read a verse about three months ago. And the Bible is underneath the stack of mail and underneath the magazines and the five and five weeks worth of newspapers. They blow it, you know, get it all, blow the dust off of it, and and find it. And they go, wow, you haven't read your Bible in a while. How long can you go without reading the Bible? How long can you go without prayer? How long can you go without worshiping God? I love it. Sometimes I have a nice private office at the prison. And there's sometimes I'll just softly sing a song or something and pray for a few minutes while I'm in my office. I'll cross the yard and I'll be be just quietly singing some praise hymn or something. Waiting for somebody to ask, you know, why are you so happy? What what's going on? You know, I love it because as soon as they ask me why I'm happy, I get to I get to tell them all about God and Jesus because they open the door. And they can't say that, that uh, it was wrong because, hey, they opened the door. They asked me why I was happy. You know, most of them don't even most of them know what the answer is going to be. But, you know, it's so wonderful to know that God meets our needs. He is our provider. He is the one that cares for us. And know that we can trust him completely. We can put all of our hope into him. And know that he is going to meet our needs. And you know what? Besides our needs, he likes to meet our wants. He doesn't promise to meet our wants. But how many wants has God met for you? Where he says, here, I just want to bless you. You're my child. And think about this. How many people have a picture of God as being this stingy, greedy person who just says, well, I want to give you just enough to get by. He is our Father. And you know, how many parents, now again, I understand there are some parents out there that are, but how many good parents are stingy with their, parents, with their kids? Sorry, you only have uh, just this much for dinner because the rest of us are going to eat you know, all we want, but you only get this much because I want to teach you some kind of lesson. That's not God. He's not up there saying, oh my goodness, I, you, got, you got two drops of blessings instead of one today. He's up there saying, I want to pour out the blessings on my children. And too many of us have this image of God that he is stingy and mean. God loves us. You know, he is not up there waiting for us to stick our head out of the ground so he can smack us. Now, he is up there waiting for us to stick our heads out of the ground so he can grab hold of us and give us a hug and say, come, on, come along with me which might be just as terrifying in some cases because I left the safety of what I thought was safe and said taken out on an adventure. Do we realize how much of an adventure it is to follow God? He will take us places that we would never have thought that we would ever go to. He'd ask us to do things that we would never thought we would do. You know, and it's very interesting you know, when we talk to men because men think, well, I am too, too macho to be following God. You know what? God put men, men in places of great danger and standing for him. He says, be courageous and stand for him. You know, and I agree with most men, they're too wimpy to follow God. <laughs> and that's not how they would put it, but that's really what they're saying. They're too much of a wimp to follow God. Because following God means we take chances. We take chances with him and we stand opposite of the rest of the world. And we'll have to stand and be courageous. And it takes takes some guts to be following God. And we need to be understanding that God is on our side, but he's saying, be strong and of good courage. This is what he told Joshua over and over, be strong and of good courage. Jesus, yeah, he was a real wimp. He went to the cross and died for us and stayed on that cross because he understood what it would cost to get people saved. How much are we willing to stand for God? Are we willing to follow him and do what he says and not be a fear because God has something in store for us? Or are we going to do the easy way out? The easy, non non challenging way to follow? Where are we going to stand up and say, I am going to follow God? I'm going to follow his standards. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in a world that says, do not be courageous. We live in a world that if you disagree with somebody, you're immediately attacked and tried to be belittled. And usually people cower and follow after the way of the world. I've seen it over and over again. When I was in college the second time, I watched people cower under the attacks of the the professors and the the, other students. They would not take a stand and hold their stand. We need to be, as Christians, willing to take a stand And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take that verse and say even and so much more as we see the day approaching because it is going to get harder and harder to stand for God. And before the rapture comes, we are going to suffer with having to stand for God or reject God. It's coming. And I think we're very close to it. When we see the signs of the time, all the attacks on the church, the one world government forming, the one world currency forming, the one world economy forming, and it is forming all around us, it's coming and we need to be ready. God is going to take us out before things get really, really bad, but we're going to go through some hard times. And most of the world is going through hard times right now. Millions of Christians die every year in this world for being Christians not just in the natural scope of dying, but for being Christians they're being martyred. We in America have been spared that so far, but the time is coming that it's going to change. We need to prepare our hearts today to stand. Stand while there's no real problem to stand because if we're not standing now, we will not stand when, when our life is on the line. Where is our treasure at? Is our treasure here on earth or is our treasure in heaven? We just passed out those 540 bag, 40 bags out there today. I don't know how much treasure is going to be from those things. I can't believe that 540 bags get passed out and not one person gets touched by God. And you know what? The wonderful thing is, it's not just the people who pass the bags out that's going to get that blessing. Last week, we had a whole crowd of people that helped us put the bags together. For the previous month, we had all kinds of people uh, buying candy to put in those bags. We've had people giving offerings that we used to buy the tracts and the bags in the first place, and the Bibles in the first place. Every one of you have done anything in this church, given an offering, given candy, given time, will be part of that reward. How much reward is there? I don't know. We've been doing this for what? Eight, nine years now? That's a lot of bags that have been passed out. A lot of tracks that have been passed out. We have no clue how many souls have been saved just from that one event. Then of course we have the church going online with the, with the, the messages. Now I have the privilege of being the one that gets to speak it. But you all are the ones that help by giving offerings keep it on the internet. How many people are being touched by the multiple thousands of people every month that are listening to messages? How many people are getting saved that we're going to get rewarded for in heaven? Our treasure is in heaven, not in this world. We need to keep this in mind because so many times we're going, God, I'm not getting all I want in this world. And God says, this isn't isn't your home. Your home is where we're headed to. Our home is where we will will be one day and spend eternity. And I would love to have a very large, beautiful house up there, fully decorated because of the rewards, rather than having a mansion down here on earth and nothing in heaven. Where is our treasure? And the problem with having a treasure in this world is that it gets wiped out pretty easy. Anybody who's got a 401K understands how fast, how fast their money disappears because the, the market right now is tanking. You know, and it's very hard to, I don't even want to go into my 401K anymore. Good thing I'm not worrying about that as my future. I know maybe it'll bounce back if God waits long enough, but it's hard to look at it right now. There are people that are panicking right now because their 401Ks, their retirement money is totally gone. Or or headed that way. Their treasure is in this world. Their treasure is in their things that are of this world. Where is your treasure? Where is your hope? Is it in God and what He's doing for you? Or is it in the things that you can obtain in this world? This world is temporary. Even if we had even if you lived to be the age of Methuselah, 969 years. This world is still temporary. Methuselah is dead. He's been dead for almost 5,000 years. He's been dead a lot five times longer than he lived. His life was short. Even though by our standards we think he had a long life, he's still short. And then you match that to eternity, and his life is extremely short. Our life is extremely short. Where do we want all of our heart and our treasure to be? this very short world, or for eternity? I want it to be for eternity. I hope that you want it to be for eternity. But it does mean that we change everything about the way we think. God cares for us enough to meet our needs. He also is the one that puts the treasure in heaven for us. Because he does the work through us and then puts the treasure at our account in heaven where we will spend eternity. So the question for all of us is, where is our treasure? Where are we going to stay faithful to? What are you going to do to stand for God? And we want to make sure that that is what we're we're all about. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to always remember to put our treasure in you and in heaven. We ask you to keep us help us. Lord, for those that are listening, if anybody doesn't know you, we ask that today they will recognize that they are a sinner, and they will put their whole trust in you and ask you to be their Savior, and they will will be renewed, and they will seek a church. Lord, for those of us in this room that don't know you, Lord, we ask that we all make a commitment today to seek you first in all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says,